For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And Arnie Sherman, you're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, it is a good, good, good Sunday morning. Such a good Sunday morning that we're going to be talking about cannabis. You know, for our listeners, everybody knows that January 1st, cannabis has become legal as a recreational, uh, you know, um, supplement. Right. That, that, that we can get from, uh, you, know, d- you know, dispensaries all over Missoula. And there's a lot to discuss about that. I've, I've, uh, I've seen that we've already had. Uh, in the first month alone, almost twenty-three million dollars in sales. That's, that's more than that's more than twenty dollars in sales per every man, woman, and child in the state, and it's generated three million dollars in tax money that's going to be used for drug treatment and other sorts of things. So it's a win-win, of, sort of across the board for everyone. And Missoula has something like fifty-six dispensaries, or some number of dispensaries that they have yeah most of them are are limited in terms of their growing capabilities so we need you know a lot to cover the masses but we're going to be discussing everything cannabis with someone that you know because uh, you know you've uh you've worked with them over the years uh uh richard eggers right richard eggers from uh bitterroot cannabis um located over by the uh orange street circle exit off of i-90 which actually uh, is a, is quite a, um, a great location, 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 location. Isn't that right next to the Panda, the uh, Pagoda restaurant? <laughs> right. You can get high, you can get high and go in there and get Chinese, get egg rolls. It's you perfect can't smoke, combination. <laughs> you can't smoke out in public, which we, uh, that's we'll right. Talk, we'll talk, we'll talk to him about that. Right. But, uh, I don't know what the rules are, but uh, you know, I, all I know is that after you do it, you want, you want egg rolls and Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> There's a gas station right next yeah, to that. Station, perfect place to go shopping. Well, <laughs> I, I know Richard. I've known him for many, many years, actually, and he's very professional, very knowledgeable, very you know. That's the face to me of what this industry is is in a sense. Yes, um, and that professionalism is really important because. You know, I've traveled to other states. You've traveled to other states where recreational marijuana is available. They're not all the same, and not everybody uh, has the same no. kind of demeanor, if you no. will. No, 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 So anyway, it'll be a good conversation already. I'm excited to welcome back or welcome our guest, Richard Eggers, from uh, the founder of Bitterroot Cannabis. I'm looking forward to discussing everything cannabis. Me too. Back after this with our guest. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Arnie Sherman, we are back with our guest, the founder and owner of Bitterroot Cannabis, Richard Eggers. Richard, how are you today? How how are things going? Oh, things are going great. How are you guys? Good. I have to tell you, Richard, the last time that I had an experience with cannabis, I was using a strainer to get the seeds and the stems out of it. So you can imagine how long ago that was. But uh, things have changed a lot. They definitely have, yeah. So how have things, the first thing everybody wants to know is recreational cannabis has been in place now in Montana since the beginning of January. And how are things going? Things are going great. Yeah, things are going really good. We're really busy and uh, seeing a lot of new faces, a lot of first time users, which is uh, not surprising, but really uh, cool to see. You know, I've read that, that the state reported for the month of January $22.6 million in sales, of which almost $13 million was recreational use. 
and it produced about $3 million in tax revenue. Were those numbers numbers that the industry was prepared for? I think I think a lot of people were prepared for that. Yeah, we knew it was going to be uh, the sales were going to be pretty high and uh, that we were going to bring in a lot of tax revenue for the state. Scott, you know, that means that uh, for every man, woman and child in Montana, they sold twenty two dollars worth of uh, cannabis. Sounds That's a pretty that. hefty number. <laughs> for a state that it's about a million people, you're a hundred. You're, well, you're right. Well, plus, plus tourists. You know, we have tourists. And well, that's and, a question. That's a good yeah. question, right, Arnie? Like, how, like Richard, of the folks that you have kind of walked through the turnstiles, new faces, how many are local versus how many are out-of-staters or people that are tra- passing through? I've seen a lot of out-of-staters, a lot of people passing through. Um, I actually saw a bunch of people today that were on road trips, skiing road trips, and hitting all the slopes around um, um, Colorado, Wyoming, and uh, Montana, and going through um, Idaho and stuff. Well, you know that most of the tourist season in Montana, the, the time of the year where we get the most aggregate number of tourists is third quarter. You know, is, is, uh, is, you know, July, August and September. We right. get between five and six million tourists coming in during that period of time. And I guess so the follow up question is, you know, it seems like we're prepared now. Are we prepared to deal with not only the, you know, local population, but another within 90 days, five or six million people coming in, many of whom, you know, will, will wander into uh, cannabis uh, emporiums. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so how much are you allowed to produce? I mean, let's get into some of the nitty gritty. I think the show's focused on everything cannabis. And so, (laughs) you know, for our listeners who may not be, uh, you know, as familiar with all of this as, uh, as uh, you are, uh, you know, how much are you allowed to produce and, uh, you know, how many strains and how is how is that all work at this point? Uh, so it's a tier. Uh, it's a tier licensing. Um, so you uh, buy in based off of how much space that you have available to grow the plants. And then you just fill up that space and that's what you're allowed to grow. There's no limit on how much you can have. There's no limit on how many strains you can have. It's just based off of the square footage of the canopy that you're allowed to have. And, and, and a lot of there's a lot of tiers in place. So bitterroot. Uh, cannabis, Bitterroot, uh, your operation. Yes. How, what tier are you and how much space do you have? Uh, we're actually, um, at the uh, second tier. So we're, um, at uh, 2,500 square feet is what we're allowed based off of canopy space. Okay. And tier one is the highest amount. Is, is the uh, no, tier, tier one is the lowest. Oh. And then tier two, oh, it's like local. It's like, um, your own provider is the lowest. And then you can go to tier one, tier two. And then I think it goes all the way up to like tier 10. Wow. Is that, but the question is in the sense of, so you have 25,000 square feet of harvesting. 2,500 square feet? Yes. 20, I have 2,500 square feet of harvest. I see. And, and that's off site, not where you're currently located. Cause you're located on Orange Street right off of the exit off of the interstate. But where do you do your grow? Oh, uh, we grow in the bitter. We grow in Florence. Got it. Hence the name bitterroot cannabis. Um, and are there plans given that you have this, this, this great kind of, you know, location because you are probably one of the best locations in town being right off the interstate. Um, do you have the ability to expand your grow operation in the Bitterroot in Florence? Well, we yeah, absolutely. That's on the books right now. We're planning on expanding after the successful first month and um, the continued success of the um, middle of the second month, we are definitely have plans to uh, expand. And if you expand, you have to apply to the state for a different tier license? Yes. Yep. We have to apply right now. So it's, it's really weird on how you apply. You can apply one tier level uh, per year with exceptions to be able to jump five tiers in place. There's a lot of confusion based off of how to do that right now. They're, they just had a meeting last Wednesday to discuss it, but uh, yeah, it's one tier per year. And are you seeing national cannabis operations moving into Montana? Um, I'm going to say yes, but they have people that are um, – residents running it right like i think cookies for example is a national operation correct correct yeah but they have local people but they're still part of it now what i'm what i'm saying is can some can someone come in here from out of state and apply for you know a a 
tier 10 license and start monopolizing the industry. I'm if not you will. an out of state resident, not right now. Um, okay. Personally, they want like a MedMen or like one of those national kind of nationally visible kind of providers. Exactly. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to do that right now. Like we are, we're grandfathered in for like no new dispensaries can come in and set up shop until, um, June or July of 2023. So we got some to, they're giving us, uh, the local people, the people that have been in the mm. industry for a while, a little bit of a head start. What is the, what is the consumer benefit or the, the, the consumer benefit of you being a tier two versus a tier 10? Like, is there, is there, is there some savings or some, is it just how much you can harvest and it's your job to price it the way you want to price it regardless of what tier you are? Uh, yeah. So, um, with benefit with, uh, when you got the lower tiers is, um, there's a lot less, um, square footage for the canopy. And so there's a lot more detail going in per square footage. So we're able to, uh, perfect the, the quantity rather than qual- quality. When you get up into the, uh, like the tier 12 licenses, um, it's like 50,000 square feet. So you have so much more room to cover and so many more people that you have to hire to cover all this. And I, of course the overhead goes up and I'm sure the cost of cannabis will go up. Uh, so definitely the benefit is a lower cost, a lower cost and higher uh, quality. So is it like a, it's, it's equivalent to, let's say a small kind of coffee shop or barista versus a Starbucks? Right. Where yeah. you're going to, you have your own beans, your own kind of way of, of brewing and of serving it up. And that's your, that's your calling card is so to speak. That's your brand. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there, and, is, is there a brand that Bitterroot Cannabis has that let's say others don't have? Or is there some kind of way you position yourself differently? Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, the edibles that we make are our own recipes that I've been, uh, my wife and I have been perfecting since, um, since we got into the industry back in 2009 mm-hmm. in the medical industry. And then uh, a lot of our strains too are strains that we crossbred ourselves that other uh, providers don't have because we haven't, uh, released the seeds or the clones out to the, um, to the public or into the industry at all. So we do have things that uh, other providers don't have. So for 12 years, you were doing mostly medical marijuana. Yes, Montana. And now you're able to branch out. And I'm assuming that because you can get into recreational, there are some different strains and there's some different edibles that you're producing that are more oriented towards, uh, uh, you know, a consumer, a general consumer rather than a medical consumer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we definitely have some some. Lower dose uh, concentrate, not concentrates, but um, cannabis that I like to offer to uh, people who've never consumed before. So they're not completely floored or having a really uncomfortable um, experience with it. And it's a nice, mellow, easy step into the uh, into consumption. Right. For our listeners, obviously, who are familiar with this, they would understand it. For those that aren't, there's some balance between THC, which is the psychoactive element to cannabis and the uh, CBD part of it, which is more oriented towards, you know, pain control and, and dealing with, uh, you know, people that have fibromyalgia or uh, arthritis or other medical issues that are looking for maybe more of a, you know, more CBD in it rather than THC. So oh, you're, yeah. you're developing, you know, different, uh, you know, strains based on what they can, what impact and what effect they have on you know, on uh, the consumers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And how, um, oh, no, Arnie, please go. We're, we're fascinated by this. We so on 2,500 2, square feet, how often can, you know, what's the life cycle of a plant? How long does it take the plant to grow, harvest, and then, you know, plant and produce others? Um, so I generally, based off of time alone, it's uh, a plant's life cycle from clone to finish is six months. For me, for me, everybody's going to be different. Everybody has their own processes. Some people may be only two months, three months because they're just, they're having a lot more plants to cover up more canopy space instead of just uh, less plants and bigger and just bigger. So your so, turnover really is two is is equivalent to one time five thousand square feet worth of plants. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's that's interesting. Um, so how has the state been to work with? I mean, the state here is uh, you know. Big bureaucracies and cannabis don't always fit together. And I know they had to create a computer system, you know, to track all this. Uh, and they had to figure out a way to roll in the existing medical marijuana related files and activities 
with the recreational with the recreational part of the business how from your perspective how is that all you know come together um it's been it's been really good actually there is a couple there's still a couple of hiccups there's always been hiccups working with the state the, the the system's not perfect we've had issues in the past and they're really um they, they work with us on those issues um and uh when it uh, transferred over recreational it was pretty smooth it was um we were a little concerned that uh we weren't uh we didn't know how they were going to track i didn't know how they were going to track and they didn't know how they were going to track when i talked to them um uh, up to a week before we went recreational so we were like How's it, how do we record these sales? Cause in the law, it says we're supposed to record the sales. And, um, right up to a week, they told us, well, here, this is how you're going to do it. So we had all this time since it passed until it went into effect of how we were going to do it, but it worked good. Everything was smooth and, um, it's been smooth so far. And, uh, not a lot of, um, not a lot of hiccups at all. And what has been the evolution of the banking relationships? I mean, uh, it's come a long way. Yeah, it's it's come a long way. Um, we went for the longest time without having the ability to bank at all, and that was uh, that was really tough. Um, but uh, we were uh, thankful to get into a program. I can't say what it is because I, I signed an NDA, um, but uh, we were able to get into a startup program to be able to bank um, legally, and that's been really helpful for us. So, will the banking allow customers to use credit cards, or they're all going to still need to pay in cash? Uh, still cash uh, because it's still federally illegal, and they base that off of the credit card and debit card companies themselves. Right. Does it does does so from transitioning to medicinal to recreational? Um, how you know? I imagine you built up a nice clientele over the last several years of medicinal clients, right? And then that started to loosen, and people could take their medicinal card to any provider. Okay. Um, how, did you see a, an, an influx of other providers, customers, as well as your customers going to other providers? Like, what's that been about? Like, been oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. As soon as that opened up, um, it was uh, definitely seen a lot of new uh, patients, and my patients, of course, went elsewhere. And it, it was uh, it was really nice because um, for the longest time, when you signed up for one patient with one provider, um, if we ran out of a product they wouldn't have access to that product and they would have to wait until we got that product in with no ability to go someplace else unless they changed um, on the, uh, on the application form, which could take a couple weeks to do the change. Um, and then when that opened up the door, they were able to like, Oh, okay, well, uh, you know, bitter cannabis is out, is out of my candy bars. So I'm going to go down the street and they have candy bars and they were able to pick up candy. Bars. But is it, but is the, but that's a, I've always wondered that, like, so let's say a Blue Dreams, right, at Bitterroot Cannabis, that strain, is it the same strain and consistency and potency as down the street at another provider, or? I, I would say no, unless that, unless those two providers traded clones and got the same clones, I would say it's not the same. So everybody has a different version of a popular strain. Absolutely. And even if they have the same clones, uh, depending on the growth style, those strands could be, uh, the, the growing te- techniques can make that batch completely different than, um, one other provider who grew it. Right. Not all, not all oranges are the same. Not all apples are the same, right? Yeah. Not all OG pushes are the same. <laughs> That's exactly right. Are you, are you, um, yeah, because it's not like you go get your, your prescription filled at CVS and it's Ativan and it's also Ativan at Walgreens um, right. has has the proximity that Bitterroot Cannabis has to the hospital or the healthcare industry. You know, the some of the providers been helpful for you guys. Um, you know, not a lot of people say exactly where they're coming from when they come in. Ah. Um, but we have had a couple that were like, "Well, I was just over here at Providence, and I, I saw the saw your sign when it's coming out to the parking lot, and decided to swing by." And but uh, not everybody's pretty adamant about sharing their uh, their their medical visits. Of course. So, Richard, I- I'm a customer. I'm walking in the door for the first time. Walk me through, you know, what happens? What am I allowed to buy? How much am I allowed to buy? What are all the parameters of, uh, of recreational uh, consumer aspect of the business? 
Yeah, absolutely. So you walk in, and of course, we're going to greet you with a big smile, friendly hello, ask you for your ID, make sure it's valid. You have to have valid ID. And then uh, we uh, have a loyalty program. We sign you in with your name and your birth date. So on your birthday, you can come in and get a discount on a joint or an edible of your choice. And, and then uh, we uh, walk you through all of the products that we have. We have menus set up. And, um, you get a, get a limit to an ounce a day of flour and then um, equivalent of 800 milligrams of um, edibles or eight grams of concentrate is what you're legally allowed to get in any mixed match form. And per then, day. Per day, yep, per day. Well, in the law, it says you're an ounce per day, five ounces per month is what you're legally allowed to purchase. Is okay. what, but there's no, there's no tracking going on when it comes to a recreational consumer. When we input the sale um, for tracking, um, it's um, – as you're just put in there as a, uh, as a consumer and that's it. There's no name, there's no license put into it at all. And so like, I mean, if you wanted to, you can go down, come here, get announced, go down to the next place and get announced and so on and so forth. That, this no- is a big, this is a question I've had. So how, what's the frequency of a visit? Is it three times a month? Is it five times a month? And what, and you know, it just, or does it just vary? But what's your average of your recreation? Uh, average is uh, like once a week. Once a week, so four times a month. And the benefit of four times a month is they can, they obviously get payday or they get a check, so they have more money, right? Versus going in one time a month and picking up a month's worth. Like I'm oh, trying yeah. to understand what guides the, the, the thing. Is it pretty much when money comes in? Um, is there like a, a, a benefit to have you? store it because it's fresher it's in a more controlled environment versus them that would put it in a refrigerator i like tell me i don't know any of this so it's i'm sorry to sound so naive but um, you're fine yeah definitely no it really it really just varies it, it definitely uh paydays definitely affect the frequency of the people that we get um and then uh, like one person will come in and uh, there are four times visits their first uh their first day of the month they're gonna get like you know an ounce or a half ounce gonna get a large amount and then they're gonna run out and they're not gonna have the cash and so they're going to come in and grab a couple grams here and there to hold themselves off to the next payday. And, and so it, it definitely varies. Or if they have a hot date. Or if they have a hot date, yeah. Or if it's or there's a concert in town or, you know, I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely, that definitely would play a factor into that. So, so is, Scott, you, you wouldn't know about any of those things. No, that. I wouldn't. <laughs> is there any, is there a benefit to like, Having someone, when someone comes at the beginning of the month, they, they load up, let's say they stock up and then let's say they come back the week after or the week after. Are they traditionally buying less throughout the month or are they still buying the same amount that they did at the beginning of the month? It uh, really varies. Yeah. It's, uh, um, it's everybody's different. I definitely see on average people buying less as the month goes on until the next payday and then they'll buy more and just to get themselves, uh, so, so, so for our unaware consumers out there, um, how much on average does an ounce cost? And if, if you were rolling, you know, joints, how many joints do you get out of an ounce? <laughs> um, so an average joint costs, I mean, not average joint, an average ounce costs, um, anywhere from 150 to $200, um, before taxes. Taxes are, there's 23% tax in Missoula right now. And then, um, I mean, depending on how big your joints are, I mean, if you're just doing a normal half gram joint, you're going to get 56, uh, 56 joints off an ounce. Right. Not, so that's a lot, Arnie. That's a lot in a week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're a you love your blunts or your, your cone, you're going to get like right. 14 or 20. <laughs> right. So, but it must be so nice to deal with like customers that are all kind of like mellow. Like nobody's ever in a road rage scenario at Bitterroot Cannabis, right? Oh, man. The, the, um, the customers have been amazing. It's great. Everybody comes in, they're smiling, they're happy. We get the really excited people that just jazz me up. They're just, they're great to work with. They just, they're just so happy that they can just walk in and everything's cool. They don't have to worry. They can get their cannabis and they can leave and it's just, legally. And it's, it's, it's been really cool. I think tourists also love, appreciate the fact that they can enjoy the beauty of Montana and all that it has to offer, but also be able to get their cannabis. 
because they enjoy that as part of their vacation or their trip or whatever. It's part of their life and they don't have to fly in with it or take it across well, state well, lines. Well, most states still don't have recreational cannabis. So a lot of people come here from, you know, places where they can't get it. And it's okay. like a, it's like a, you know, part of the experience about being in Montana, you could just walk in and get it. To some people that, you know, yeah. If you're living in a state where it's, where it's not legal and some places there isn't even medical marijuana that's readily available. It's a, it's a complicated process to, to get it from friends and the quality is always, you know, at, yeah. you know, at risk and blah, 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 blah. It's like the old days. Oh yeah. You yeah. Know? Some guy behind Walgreens uh, by the dumpster. Yeah. Was- exactly. And yeah, absolutely. Better not ask what it is. And- right. Well, there are two adjacent states uh, that butt up to Montana, Wyoming and uh, and uh, 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 well, what was it? Wyoming and Idaho are you can't get it. You'd have to go into Washington, at least yeah. to the west. Oh yeah, right? there's, there's there's thirty states, thirty two states where it's not legal recreational marijuana. Still, a majority of the country. So. Yeah. It's amazing. A lot of people come here from those states in particular because those are usually, you know, more conservative states or they're the middle Midwestern states and they're coming out to Montana, you know, the old Rocky Mountain High kind of thing. Oh, yeah, and, Rocky Mountain High, absolutely. And they can, you know, they can get it here when they when they uh, well, when they show up. Well, Texas, as we know, a huge influx of people coming in from Texas is big. Sure. One, of the one or two market, you know, feeder markets. Are it's employees illegal. are employees allowed by law? I mean, it's not pol- to smoke during the day during the while they're working. Um, some places do. We don't here. Um, mm-hmm. We um, uh, number one is um, the uh, the place that we rent out. We've signed a, a lease agreement. There's no consumption of cannabis on the grounds. Mm-hmm. Also, we like to have a clear head here. So because we are dealing with cash, we're dealing with customers. So we want to make sure that we're getting. You know, getting the right information to people, getting the right change back to people, and everything, like, and the right products and stuff like that. Under so, the current iteration of the recreational use law, are you allowed to have a lounge in your facility where people can smoke on the premise if they, if uh, customers can smoke on the premise? No. Um, so there is uh, consumption of cannabis is illegal in the public view. So I would think anywhere um, that um, the public can enter would be public view. Um, and then if you're around other people, I mean, I, I think there, I mean, I guess some people can get around with loopholes by saying it's a club and there's right. a fence or there's another room. And so it's beyond legal view, but there's also the, uh, the smoking law in Montana. There is no smoking right. indoor in, indoors. And so that would play a role too. Um, so there's, there's definitely, I, w- I say no, but there's definitely probably some loopholes out there where people are. Right. I, I noticed in places like Seattle, Washington, they have some places where there are lounge, you know, lounge attached to it where people can smoke on premise. Was yeah. our law was our law crafted in, based on another state? Did we use another state as a model for Montana? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. They definitely took some stuff from Colorado uh, on Colorado's law. Which actually begs the question, as you were kind of contemplating, first going into medicinal and then recreational, did you do any market research of your own and kind of go to Colorado, you know, check out what they're doing in Colorado or Washington State to say, hey, I like what they do over here at this place, but not at this place? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when uh, when Washington legalized, I definitely went over to uh, Spokane, um, checked out Spokane, went over to Kent, Washington, went over, went over to Seattle, of course, for Hemp Fest. There's a, after they legalized, there's a lot of vendors over there, a lot of dispensaries over there. We went and checked out the new and up and coming products and checked out the dispensaries to see what we liked and what we didn't like. And there's definitely places where we felt really, really uncomfortable. And we we're like, we're definitely not going to do this. Sure. We felt comfortable. And we were like, okay, this is, uh, this is homey. This is comfortable. I can walk in, in here and feel comfortable talking to the bud tenders and stuff like that. There in 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 Las Vegas, there are some cannabis superstores. Mm-hmm. I actually went into one. There was one called Area Thirteen, I think it's called. Oh yeah, and it was the size of a Costco, literally. <laughs> it, it had a coffee shop inside. You walked in the door, they gave you a buzzer because till a cannabis counselor was available to wait on you. 
there were, I mean, it was huge. You couldn't see from one end to the, to the other. They took some, you know, and it's really, it's like a two or three blocks off the strip. They literally took an old abandoned warehouse and made it into an entire, you know, ex- cannabis experience from clothing to, uh, you know, to, you know, a, a large coffee shop to, uh, you know, all of the, uh, um, you know, you, you know, pipes and, and I mean, just everything just, but in, in such an abundance, the parking lot, when, when I happened to drive in to take a look at it, cause I was really curious, they probably had 60 cars parked oh, out wow. there. Yeah, I bet. Absolutely. So, I mean, that law is completely different because the, the amount that they would have to have available to them would be an enormous amount of product to serve oh, wow. something like that, that I believe, I don't know, I didn't look, it's open 24 hours a day in essence. You can pop in there at any time and, you know, and buy. You're not allowed. You have to, you can only sell what you produce. You can't buy a national brand of something that you don't make, like a soda, for example, or something from that some national companies manufactured. In Montana, you can't buy that and sell that in your, in your, in your establishment. Currently not. Yeah. We cannot purchase anything from companies out of states unless they're, in the state and they, they're registered with the state and then we could, but they're not right now. So. And then right. you're talking about product, but any peripherals and accessories you can bring in from wherever. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Pipes and stuff like that we can bring in from wherever. Are you diversifying your product line? Like, cause when you have someone there, you, they're obviously buying your product, but you have accessories and pipes and, and, uh, vape pipe, vapor pens, vape pens and things like that. Uh, oh, yeah. drink, do you have beverages? We do, yeah. We do, uh, we do, uh, we do a wide variety of infused products. Definitely got beverages. Okay. Is it, is it something that like, what's your, your growth plan, right? Like, do you have uh, a, a desire to become bigger or to become higher quality that other providers start to buy from you? Like, do you have like a phase three, right? Because medicinal has clearly been phase one. Recreational is now phase two. Is there some place that you want to grow this business to um, that you would like to, you could share with us? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We definitely have growth plans. We don't want to get too big though. We don't want to lose uh, what we, uh, what made bitter cannabis. We want to, we are very um, personable with our customers and um, almost everybody that comes into our store knows myself and uh, Ashley, my wife and our employees. We only have two other employees and we all know everybody by most everybody that comes back by name. And we don't want to lose that. We do have plans to maybe open like one other store in Montana, um, grow more products of course but other than that it's uh, we want to stay nice and um personable with uh, with the consumers you know growing cannabis is a is a very um niche area of, of horticulture how do are you the grower did you how'd you learn how to do this uh, yeah, so I am the grower. Been growing for um, twelve years. Uh, started off reading books and uh, going on the internet and reading blogs and forums and stuff like that. And a lot, a lot of trial and error. I failed a lot of times. Kept notes, learned from my mistakes. Um, definitely um, got when I got into the industry. I definitely uh, worked with a bunch of other providers. I worked for providers. I worked at dispensaries before I owned my own dispensary. So I learned from other growers and uh, picked up things here and there, what to do and what not to do, and uh, just um, learned along the way. Do you, th- do you think Montana as a, a recreational state now is going to attract other out-of-state kind of uh, folks that want to be your employees or your growers or, you know, I know my nephew uh, worked in Massachusetts and in New Jersey and had had ideas about traveling to Oregon or Washington to work. So are you starting to see some of that? Because this is a spectacular place to live, right? It's not just – there's a huge benefit to to be here and to do something you love. So have you encountered any of that? Big time. Yeah, we've had a lot of people dropping off resumes and surprisingly – not surprisingly, but a lot of people from other states – um, like Idaho and Washington, people that just moved to Montana, coming in and dropping off resumes. Is the notion or the concept of dispensary, which is more of a medical term, you know, dissipating, is it changing as a result of, you know, the, I'm going to assume that a preponderance of the business is going to be recreational from here on out. Is that, is that, is that 
terminology now in the past sense that we're going to have a, a new way to look at the industry? Um, I don't think so. I have a lot of consumers who uh, come in who um, didn't have the medical card because they couldn't afford it. And now they can consume uh, medicinally without needing to get a card. And uh, being like some people were a little afraid of being on a state registry. And uh, so now they can sure. and they can um, ask questions about, uh, you know, sleep aid and muscle relaxations and pain relievers and stuff like that. So I think it's going to. I think it's um, expanded the industry, but I think in whole the industry is going to stay the same. And what's what's sort of the breakdown about um, how much of your inventory is devoted to or the customer interest? I mean, it also obviously depends on you know it's a you know, matching supply and demand. So how much of the uh, demand is in you know smokable product, edible product, uh, you know? tinctures, the other kind of thing. What's the, the sort of the, the pie chart of that? Oh, yeah. Demand is really high for number one concentrates. Um, uh, we are almost sold out of all of our concentrates and went super fast. Um, edibles are number two. Uh, we made uh, six-month batches just to prep. We're like, oh, six months are going to do it. We've already sold out of some of our six-month batches already, um, and we're working on more right now. Um, and then flour, we definitely had plenty of flour, but flour is still, you know, flour is still a big seller, but it's not as big as uh, concentrate yeah. edibles right now. That's amazing. Let's just do a quick ID. Our guest is Richard Eggers. He is the founder and owner of Bitterroot Cannabis right here in Missoula. Arnie, I would ask this question of Richard because I find <laughs> because I, I want to understand in the sense of when you got into this industry, it was under a different, you know, you were there to do the medicinal work and you really like yes. to your point, you studied, you researched, you made mistakes. Is there a is there a supportive in, is this a supportive industry? Meaning, is the grower down the street and the dispensary down the street, you know, keeping an eye on you and are you guys helping each other, giving each other, you know, uh, just good information and like this is what I'm doing, or is it very much every man for themselves or every woman for themselves? Um, it's uh, it's kind of both. I, I have definitely come across people who are definitely in it for themselves, and it's like you know I have this, and, you know, you, if you so it's collegial, exactly. It's the last you know last man standing sort of deal. And I have met other uh, really nice um, owners, uh, dispensary owners, and growers and stuff who are definitely on the edge of um, more helpful. Um, which is, which is nice, which is a, a breath of fresh air. So it's, uh, well, do you try each other's products? Like, do you, will you sample their product to see kind of what their strain is like? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I've definitely sampled some products and definitely have had some, uh, owners, uh, growers and stuff like that come in and sample our products. Richard, what'd you do before this? Um, oh, wow. Um, I was, uh, I did all kinds of stuff. Um, I uh, had a problem with authority when it came to jobs. <laughs> and went, through, uh, went through jobs a lot. Um, uh, last, my last job I had before this, I was a appliance uh, delivery installer. Huh. So I delivered stoves and fridges and stuff like that. And then I hurt myself on the job, got hurt on the job and uh, ended up uh, not working for a while. And Getting into the med- uh, getting into the medical by being a patient, and then seeing what it did for me, and then jumped into the industry. So let, let me switch gears a little bit to sort of the you know sort of the the compliance side of this. What what are the laws related to you know you get you get stopped for speeding in a car? Is the laws that are similar for DUI the same for marijuana, or how is that all working itself out? You know, I haven't heard anything when it came to um, DUIs on cannabis yet. Maybe it hasn't been uh, been out there a lot and happening a lot. But from my understanding, it's 0.5 nanograms in your blood. And I think that would be taken if you got into like an accident or something right. like that. But if you're, if you're driving, you're speeding, and you're not consuming it, but they can see it, it's like, like you have your package from the dispenser or something like that. Right. I don't think they're out there to um, to punish you for it. Right. I mean, if they if if you're stopped for speeding and the window rolls down and all the smoke comes out, 
Yeah, you're getting a DUI. <laughs> you're getting a DUI. But Arnie, funny. I don't think I don't think people are I don't think people are reckless when they're when they're consuming while driving. I think well, they, I'm not saying they are. They may but, fall you know, asleep at a stop sign. I mean, yeah. that's, no, I can see no, that I happening. That, but, I definitely don't want to go anywhere after I smoke. It's like it's yeah, stay no, put. But Montana's a big state. You're driving from here down to you know Yellowstone. You know, it's a beautiful summer day. You know, you're drinking. Uh, you know, you're drinking a. Get to your destination. Yeah. I'm just saying. So there are people who will will smoke on the way, right? Oh, absolutely. And and it's certain. I was going to say. I'm just trying to understand what, what, how law enforcement is, is currently responding to that. Yeah, I haven't seen anything when it comes to law enforcement. Um, I haven't seen any DUIs come up. I haven't seen any, like, you know, uh, news headlines of, like, um, a cannabis-intoxicated driver causes accident or a cannabis-intoxicated driver DUI or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, I'm not even as worried about that as, as much as, you know, somebody's just doing fine and maybe just speeding or, or goes through a light or, you know, there's some minor traffic violation. And the police officer taps on the window and tells you to roll it down, and he can smell, you know, right. the aroma in the car. Yeah, you're I mean, definitely obviously if you're doing if you're doing edibles, the only the only thing you could be, you know, charged with is if you had an open canister of them and they were all over the place. And but if you had it, you know, if if it was packed away, you're not going to smell it by taking an edible or or a tincture or anything like that. But if you're but if you're you know if you're smoking it, you're going to smell it in the car. You're going to smell it. Yeah, absolutely. And there is some tall tale uh, signs when you're uh, really um, um, worried for it's um, intoxicated on edibles um, uh, on a high amount. Um, huh. Most people can generally tell um, what's what's going on. Is that right? Well, actually, I have. A, so is the state doing any type of or is the industry doing any type of education of the consumer? Like, is there like, you know, like. There's MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, uh, <laughs> Don't Drink, Don't Drive, Drive Responsibly. Is there any kind of educational effort that this, that the industry or the state's going to put in place so that people know? Like sometimes people, the questions we're asking are based on not knowing. So how do you help absolutely. people know? Um, yeah, right. Absolutely. I, um, I do not. Uh, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard of any educational programs to uh, educate people on cannabis at all. Um, I know that uh, some of the tax money is going to go to um, addiction programs and uh, right. conservation, and uh, that's uh, that's pretty much about it. I haven't heard anything on the education forefront. Yeah. Well, you know, it's important for a number of reasons. For example, people just need to know how long. For example, you know if. Uh, if you're smoking a joint or taking a tincture or doing an edible, how long does it take until you're affected by it? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, we do have those. Uh, it's actually on our packaging when it comes to, uh, it comes to edibles. And when it comes to smoking, the um, the compliance packaging does say, hey, this, pro- this product takes this long to take effect. Um, don't operate heavy machinery right. vehicles and stuff like that. And then I do let consumers know, too, especially um, – uh, people who are new to it, like sure. hey, this is how long it's gonna. This is how long it's gonna be until it takes effect. This is how long it's gonna uh, affect you, um, and you know, low and slow. Sure. So, for our listeners in general, not, you know, not, I know every product probably has depends on how many you take. But if you take the prescribed amount, you take one edible, you take one eye drop of of tincture, you smoke, you know, you smoke passing, you know, half of a joint or whatever. How long does it take before it takes effect in those three areas, generally? So smoking is going to be pretty fast. You're looking anywhere from a couple minutes to 15 minutes. Uh, 15 minutes for like uh, creeper strains is what they like to call them um, for it to take effect. And it's only going to last anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours. Um, yeah. Edibles, uh, food-based product edibles, so like gummies and candies and stuff like that, it's going to take effect in anywhere from 90 minutes. Um, I've seen all the way up to uh, three hours. Uh, for me personally, I have a weird body chemistry. It takes three hours for a traditional food-based product edible to take effect on me. And then it lasts anywhere from four to eight hours. It lasts a really long time for me, so I have to be really careful, even though I've been consuming for a pretty long time. Um, still don't need a lot when it comes to the edibles. 
Um, and then on uh, tinctures, like alcohol-based tinctures and other um, um, liquid-based tinctures takes effect a lot faster, um, absorbs into the bloodstream a lot faster. So you're looking anywhere from – I've seen um, alcohol tinctures take um, as little as 15 minutes to take effect and last anywhere from four to eight hours. Yeah, because that's really important because of the delayed effect. You take something and you feel fine, and three hours later you decide to do something, and all of a sudden it hits you. Hits you, yeah, exactly. It's going to hit you, and it's going to last several hours. I mean, you're going to be out or away from the house or, you know, out rowing a boat or, you know, climbing up in the hills or doing whatever, and you need to be able to gauge that and judge that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I always tell people when they first try is to uh, to take uh, to take a dose and wait, uh, wait for the full three hours, even if it affects you fast or just wait for the full three hours before you consume more because you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to be, like you said, in a position where it's going to take effect when you're out driving or when you're like, you know, visiting your grandma or something like that, unless she right. can. Do you right. see more, do you see more places um, opening up, I guess, after that initial period? Cause I'm, 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 it's, I'm struck by, how few cannabis dispensaries there are from here to Flathead. So that ride, which is on your way up to Glacier, right? You, you and to, there's a few in Polston, maybe one or two are on the way up, but you have to get to Kalispell to oh, yeah. where you see any kind of concentration of dispensaries. Um, well, one of the issues related to that, Scott, has been the provisions and the restrictions or the rules that the they imposed on the, you know, on the Native American communities establishment of dispensaries. Right. They're under a different set of, as I understand it, a different set of, uh, and maybe more restrictive, um, um, rules in applying for, uh, for licensing. And, you know, that whole area is, you know, pretty much part of, uh, you know, the Native American, uh, you know, topography. Yeah, tribal lands. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The tribal lands issue is, is, has a separate, set of issues, you know, and I think they feel they're being treated unfairly by more restrictions on them than general public. And I'm not sure what they're based on and I haven't researched it all, but I know that there, it is a different, there's some difference that they're not completely happy with at this point. So that might be part of it. Yeah. Richard, what, what else um, that we haven't covered? I mean, in the sense of, I think to Arnie's point at the outset of the conversation, the, the influx of tourists starting in about 90 days is going to be a real test to your, to your stockpile, I guess, to your inventory. Yeah. Yeah. Your, absolutely. your ability to replenish. Yes. Yeah. We got, we, um, we definitely, um, had a couple big harvests before, um, recreational went to effect to, um, hold out for, um, an influx in purchases. Um, and we definitely have products set aside specifically for medical patients. If we sell all of our recreational supply and then it unfortunately is what it is. And we supply just to uh, medical marijuana patients. I could just imagine the, the 4th of July weekend yeah. going up to Flathead Lake. You're in a perfect pace for anybody, you know, from, from Butte or, you know, from where anywhere coming down, you know, Coming up 90, you're going to make the turn up at the Y. You're saying, Hey, let's, let's, uh, get off here and, and, and get what we need for the, you know, for the holiday. It's right off the highway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so definitely a prime location. We've seen a lot of people who just didn't want to come in town. They came right off the highway and we're like, Oh, Hey, look at that. Are you allowed to put signage up? Yeah. Yep. We do have signs up. Yep. Absolutely. Definitely. They, yeah. uh, the, the state did work with that. That's the one good thing. Once uh, they went over to the Department of Revenue, they've been, uh, Definitely good listeners and um, listening to what providers yeah. um, have to say and like working with us. And- I can see the sign: "Last cannabis for fifty feet." Please pull in fireworks. Like fireworks signs for sure. Let's Arnie. Let's take a quick break. Our guest is Richard Eggers. He is the owner and founder of Bitterroot Cannabis here in Missoula. Back after this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones 
who get it done. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Richard Eggers from Bitterroot Cannabis. So how do people find out? I know you have a website. Uh, yeah. How do they find out what you have, the products you have, where you're located, what your hours are, all that sort of thing? A website is definitely the first place, uh, bitterrootcannabis.com. Um, and then uh, Facebook, we don't have our menu up on Facebook, but definitely have contact information on Facebook so people can contact us there um, and just stop them by right off of uh, the Orange Street exit. Um, and your hours are? Uh, we're open seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. And 8 p.m. is the is the state limit on when you can be open. Isn't that correct? Exactly. Yep, yep, we're open for the state limit. Good. Terrific. Kind of, the state – and is the, the state's been easier to work with and the county has been easy to work with. Like I'm curious with the changeover to recreational, is just things started to open up more? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I personally think so. I've been in, uh, you know, working with the industry for a long time with the state for a long time, and they have definitely become a lot easier to work with. They're definitely uh, very knowledgeable. They're there to help us succeed. They're not there to shut us down. Uh, they've, uh, I've been pretty impressed with it. There's been some hiccups, but nothing like major. No showstoppers. Yeah, exactly. No show, no showstoppers. Yep, exactly. And it's, and it's you and Ashley and you have two employees and that's what, how you cover that nine to eight, seven days a week. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, Alex and Nate, uh, Nate, they're definitely a uh, big helps for us and definitely help us cover those, uh, those hours. The last word I want to share with, uh, with Richard is that in the previous life, I work with a guy who was the manager for Brewer and Shipley who had one song, but but one song that's relevant to our topic, which was One Toke Over the Line, Sweet Jesus, <laughs> was the hit song from Brewer and Shipley back in the 1970s. So that's my uh, that's my tie into this. Well, you know what, Arnie? What? It's, it, what's so nice about this is is that Montana is such a, like I said, it's such a great place to live, a great place to visit, a great place to, quite frankly, run a business. And kind of everything is converging, certainly with this industry. And uh, I think that's exciting. I think it's, I feel like we've made progress. Definitely have made progress. Absolutely. It sounds like you have a great uh, business model and uh, we wish you every success as, uh, as this thing completely unfolds, Richard. Yeah. Thank you so much. I super appreciate that. Thank you, Richard. That's Richard Eggers from Bitterroot Cannabis. Arnie, I will see you next week. Next week, Scott. Take care. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.